Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're a small country and listen, we're up against it. But let's not just go along for the sink song every now and again. I'm not going to sit here and say Wales will win this tournament after last night's demolition of Russia, but hello and welcome to Tuesday's Irish Times, second captain's Euros podcast. Well, what are you going to say then, Owen? Let's just say, Murph, they've opened up a path for themselves by topping the group. A path. Okay. okay. That includes a second round encounter against a third place team from either okay. groups A, C or D. Okay. As things stand, that's Albania for certain. As in Albania, certainly third in their in Group mm-hmm. A. Northern Ireland will probably finish R in third and will probably finish third in Group C, or possibly Czech Republic in Group okay. D. Nothing, nothing unmanageable there at all for no, Wales. No. Followed by a quarter final, most likely at the moment against Belgium. Now, that's a Belgian team, sure, who just walloped us three 0 but didn't do the same to Wales in qualifying. In fact, Wales took four points from the yeah, Belgians. Yeah, them. In this, much the same way as if we were to meet Germany in the round of 16, we wouldn't <laughs> care about that either. Oh yeah, I suppose We'd there is. Bring there that are on. similarities there. That's yeah. not a problem. Mm. We took, yeah, we got four points off Germany. So there's a path, there's a path towards the semi-finals. That's as far as I'm willing to go about Wales at the yeah. moment. And don't forget, Leicester showed that anything is possible <laughs> this season by that the, is true. Uh, Premier League. But uh, yeah, well, the Welsh... Um, they were really good last night. Really good last night. Yeah. Against a really bad team. Yeah, like but possibly the worst team in the in the <laughs> tournament. But by the same token, um yeah, they're bloody good. A bad team. <laughs> and they have they have one player who is might be the best player we've seen. Oh yeah, well, Bale was incredible and he, he was okay, he got the free kick against England, he got the free kick against Slovakia. Particularly against England, he probably didn't have a brilliant game overall. He wasn't as impactful as Gareth Bale can sometimes be. But this performance was it was a dream for him. He the Russian defense they, they were already pretty open to begin with. They seemed to feel that the only way to go and win this game was to <laughs> commit loads of players forward, uh, which they were doing even before they conceded the goal. Then they conceded that first goal. Brilliant pass by Joe Allen to Aaron Ramsey, chipped it over the keeper. After which, Bale had a time and time again, a lot of people might not have seen as you might have been watching the England game, but just time and time again, he gets that chance to run at the opposing defence. And because he has that amazing mixture of selflessness and uh, an ability to beat players combined with the sort of selfless streak to lay it off at the end, he he, he was just so dominant. Now, in fairness, a couple of times, I think he took... Sh- twi- he was getting a little bit Ronaldo-y in the second half. I think he did want a goal at one stage, which he eventually got. But it was amazing. Joe Ledley dancing in front of the supporters. It was a 30-second camera shot of delirious, crying fans, one in particular, actually, after the game. So Wales, as it's, they were before the now. end of the game. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing now with Wales. Fans, the Welsh fans Delirious crying, crying. Happiness. These guys are having a good time, Murph, as we suspected they were before the England game. They've managed to get over that hump and they're back to <laughs> having yeah. a way of And it the seems kind of weird. Like, if, if it hadn't been England that was in their group, you kind of get the impression maybe Wales would have played with a lot more conviction, a lot more freedom of spirit against another team that weren't England. I mean, when you look at the two performances they've had, and put that up against how they played against England, they're totally different performances. 
So yeah, they were in their shell a little bit against England. Yeah, they've made the horrible the occasion seem to yeah of presuming that England at a major tournament are a good team. <laughs> that's that's a major mistake you've you've made there. That's the only mistake they've made so far. Loads of reaction to Wales on today's pod, but Ken was in San Etienne to watch England failing to hit the net against Slovakia. Ken, I believe you've had your first negative train experience of the tournament so far. Oh, God. What happened? Um, the dog eat dog world, Alan. And, uh, You're licking your wounds today. Uh, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? Of course, this is what Please. it's all about. I won't, I won't try and tweak any details to make myself sound better. <laughs> so, um... After the game, there was a there was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris from Saint Etienne, so it gets to Paris at five. Uh, so I thought, right, um, rather than book somewhere to stay in Saint Etienne while maintaining my Paris pied à terre, <laughs> which you know is a little bit extravagant if you if you keep doing it, you know, just to have somewhere to leave my bag. I've got I've got like a, a flat in Paris. Uh, so yeah, I said, I said that train. That train will be all right. You know, I've been on those trains. They're very comfortable. I get in that train. I'll sleep soundly all the way to Paris, and then I'll get up, go go back, and uh, and continue to sleep. You know, catch up on the rest of my night's sleep. Uh, so the plan was all good. Uh, arrived at the station in Saint Etienne about fifteen minutes before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. Uh, the entire square, not just the station full, but the entire square in front of the station was full of people wanting to go to Paris and the all mainly uh, English supporters. Uh, so I thought, well, that's all right. At least I've got, uh, at least I've got seat numbers on these tickets. You know, I'll be all right with my, uh, my numbered seat in the first class carriage. Yes. Oh, I did get the first class seat because I told myself, you know, the first class costs like an extra eight euros for this train. And, uh, you know, places, are, uh, seats are a lot bigger mm-hmm. and that will help me to, uh, Get a comfortable sleep. I think it's worth paying the eight euros. But uh, it was only when I actually got onto the train or to the train platform, having you know, went gone through this big scrum and, and been part of this big crowd streaming onto it, that I realised, in fact, the seat numbers weren't being respected. They weren't being respected anymore. And you know what the French uh, train security guys were saying? Just sit anywhere. We don't know. Jesus Christ! Will you guys just shut up, sit down and shut up? So uh, I, it was with an air of foreboding that I went to um, that I went to towards my uh, in Voiture Twelve, Place Forty One. Uh, I remember the number quite clearly, Owen. And I went to uh, I went to find Place Forty One, and as I expected, it already contained a tired-looking England fan, a young. Geordie man, I'd say he was probably in his late 20s. And he looked at me, uh, he knew why I had come. And I looked at him sternly and waggled my, my ticket and said, uh, sorry mate, that's actually my seat. And he said, sorry mate, uh, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere, the seat numbers don't count uh, on this train. And I said, hmm, well, yeah, you see though, it's just that, it's, uh, yeah, it's just that that's actually my seat. And he said, look, mate, you know, I'm sorry, but like, yeah, you know, basically tough shit. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of staring at him then impotently. I'm like, what am I going to do here? What did you do? Well, I felt myself getting angry, you know, I felt myself getting very angry, but I was trying to, I was trying to keep a lid on my, on my anger because I felt it would, you know, it would be a useless emotion to me in this situation. So I kind of, so I kind of looked at him and I said, no, no, come on. (laughs) because <laughs> i mean you got it you're thinking here this train is four hours i'm dead tired don't get back to paris till five and there's literally nowhere uh, i mean there's no i don't have a seat this is a, this is an utter utter disaster this is the greatest this is one of the greatest disasters in the history of transport 
as far as I was concerned. That was how I felt at that moment. I'm, but, not, uh, I'm fucking raging. <laughs> that was that was more or less uh, my feeling. So I so that was that was pretty much it. Like you know, no, no one was going to help me, and unless I was going to, you know, try and take the law into my own hands mm-hmm. and enforce the law, you know, uh, like some character in a Cormac McCarthy post-apocalyptic um, nightmare. Uh, it's, it, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a dystopian nightmare, Ken. That's exactly that's what it was. Um, you know, this is the this is after the, uh, you know, after the uh, what do they call it when when Skynet scorched the sky? Uh, I mean, you you want to survive, right? You don't want to die. And when I say die in this situation, I mean have to sit in the corridor, or you know, curl up in a luggage rack. Listen, Ken, you were over. You were overmatched on this occasion. They, he, he had a few mates. Uh, he also had possession of the seat. That was the key thing, as far as you were concerned, really. Once he's sitting in that seat, you actually do need to get physical with him, throw him out. And you don't really, you know, that's an escalation of the problem. That was an important, that was an important uh, rule of the new reality, which I had grasped, that possession was now 100% of the law. Mm-hmm. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. <laughs> you have to go and find someone who you think you might be able to pick off and take what take what take their stuff. Oh no. Well look on I didn't it's not like I went and, 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 and found a, a straggler and uh you know eyed eyed up uh, someone, you know, if there was, you know, a, you know, sort of an elderly woman on the train who I was able to sort of manhandle out of her seat and, and throw out. That's not what happened. What I did instead was I started walking along the train until eventually I got to the very end carriage. And the train was already moving at this stage because I'd, I'd first of all kind of sulked and, and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. And um, I was asleep, by the way. Sorry, Ken. Yeah. Um, but then I thought, well, you know, maybe, who knows? I mean, there's no point in just sitting here. Well, who knows what might happen? Who knows what might happen? So I walked, ended up all the way in the very, it was the very back uh, carriage of the train, I think. And there was already, I could see some people in the bar. The bar, the by the bar meaning the, the kind of shop. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, where they, you buy sandwiches and stuff. They weren't, they weren't selling any alcoholic beverages on this train. Um, but there were people in that bar. I went down and in the very end carriage, there was a couple of empty seats. Huh. I thought, well, that's interesting. I went down to the first empty seat I saw. I tried to sit down. The England fans there said, sorry, mate. Our friend's there. So I said, okay. Moved up. Went to the next empty seat. Sat down. Guy and guy next to it. No complaints. So I sat there. I sat there. And I thought, well, well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. So you didn't actually pick anyone off. You just went and sat in an empty seat. Listen, we've got to talk well, about I, the game. Well, I sat, I sat in an empty seat. But then uh, what happened was that uh, a few minutes later, as I suspected it might, um... As I suspected, he might be owner of the seat, or at least the previous, I would, I would prefer to say, previous owner of the seat came along and said, sorry, mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry, mate, uh, my seat is actually Watcher 12, class 41, but there's someone sitting in it. So I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is unoccupied. There's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous. I've just gone to the canteen and I got this orangina and, you know, indicated his orangina and crisps. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry. It's really unfair. It's a total, the system is a total shambles. Uh, but then he walked away saying the word tosser <laughs> and I thought, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behavior at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw. <laughs> so, uh, so I pulled my hood up and sat in my, sat in my seat and looked at my phone and I felt, I felt a little bit guilty. So I, I, I wasn't able to go to sleep immediately. I, I was kind of thinking about what I'd done. My heart was pounding a little faster than usual. I, I felt bad for the guy, but on the other hand, not so bad that I was actually prepared to, you know, do the Sir Galahad on it and give him back the seat, which he had, you know, foolishly vacated. Maybe he didn't realize that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. Uh, and just as I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, at least the main thing is nobody saw Raphael Hodgenstein uh, <laughs> standing right there next to me. Everything on his way to the bathroom. And as he comes by, he goes, Ken, you know, just some way, don't take my seat now. And, uh, <laughs> and walked on. So, uh, so I pulled the hood down over my face and just to hide the burning red of my cheeks. And uh, sooner or later, I, mean, I, I was so exhausted, I fell asleep. And uh, almost immediately, I, I felt like I was back in Paris. It was like I teleported back to Paris. It was wonderful. As for what happened to the other guy, I hope he passed the night peacefully. We're not doomed, says Roy Hodgson Ken. Are England doomed? 
Uh, we're not doomed. We're not doomed. We're not doomed. He said the word doomed like four times in eight seconds. It was amazing. Um, they're they're not doomed. Uh, I mean, I, I was struck actually by the by how negative direction was to it from the uh, English press. Uh, clearly expected a lot better uh, from England. Uh, maybe I I hadn't really expected much more from them, so I wasn't surprised. I mean, to me, it seemed as though the game was one of those types of games that you sometimes get in groups like this where the same results suit both sides. Nil-nil meant England went through in second and they had a game against uh, the second-place team in the Portugal-Hungary-Austria-Iceland group, which is not that scary a prospect, really. It's not as though they were, you know, they were, they were desperate to avoid you know, uh, a fateful collision with Germany. Well, you know they will, I mean? yeah, but they will get that fateful collision in this. If, if they're plotting a course through the tournament, they're going to be playing France after that in Paris in the quarterfinals, most likely. And if they somehow get through that, they will play Germany in the semifinals. So they've managed to plonk themselves onto a pretty tough side of the draw, even if they would fancy themselves against Portugal or Hungary, wherever it might be. Well, they would have had to play these teams anyway. There's no telling that France are going to be in the quarterfinal or Germany going to be in the semifinal. You've got to play somebody good at some point. You can't just play Russia all the time. Another team England weren't able to beat. But, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't looked at who Slovakia are going to be playing. Maybe it hasn't been determined yet. Um, but, you know, the risk for England was uh, was being passed out by Slovakia, ending up in third place. Uh, I don't know if that would have been a harder route or not. But, you know, I don't really think you, need to, you should think about that that much. It just seemed as though a game, <clears throat> it reminded me of international friendly, you know, where the teams might put on a, a bit of a, an imitation of a game for an hour. But after that... No one could be bothered. The main thing, as far as the players are concerned, then is not getting injured. I'm not saying they're quite jumping out of tackles, you know, like the Irish players and against Belarus. But injuries and, and, and potential cards are the only thing really players are thinking about then. So, and when both sides are happy with it, Slovakia are like, yeah, four points, that'll do us. Uh, Nil-nil will do us. Uh, that that seemed to be the, the story of the game. But what the story of the game seemed to be from the point of view of the English media was... Oh, this is not this is not very good. Roy Hodgson has uh, gambled and lost. Uh, he's made six changes to the team. He hasn't uh, showed he's he hasn't show, showed Slovakia enough respect. The risk hasn't come off. England didn't manage to win. Now they qualify second. Um, now I suppose that is true to a certain extent, but I actually think that making those changes was the, was the right thing to do for Roy Hodgson. And I felt as though he gambled and didn't lose. L- losing the gamble to me would have been oh, the team actually plays terribly. You know, England sort of disintegrate and Slovakia managed to, to you know, get a surprise victory and suddenly England returned. Now, that would, have been, that would have been gambling and losing. What I thought happened instead was that Hodgson got to involve uh, a lot of players from a squad who hadn't been involved up to then. He got to have a look at how players were going to perform. He learned a couple of things. He learned, for instance, that Kyle Walker has got a fairly able backup in Nathaniel Klein, Although Walker's probably been one of England's better performers so far, so they're you know they've got uh, plenty of right backs. Uh, he learned it on the left back side. Uh, he, he doesn't want anything to happen to Danny Rose uh, because really Ryan Bertrand didn't look up to it at all and had a uh, you know should have been sent off actually. He had a couple of elbows. I mean I don't, I'm not sure how deliberate any of them were, but one of them was absolutely savage. He completely smashed the nose of the Slovakian right back Pikarik. It was a flying elbow. It was horrific. Uh, he could easily have been sent off then. The most important thing maybe that he learned was that he made a massive mistake selecting Jack Wiltshire for the tournament. And I just love to have been watching that match with Danny Drinkwater and, you know, his his friends and family or whoever he was watching the match with. And, you know, everyone's sort of try- averting their eyes from Drinkwater and trying not to bring up the subject of how, you know... <laughs> How, how, how is Wilshire in this tournament? I read a statistic, Dominic Fifield, I think, reported 141 minutes of, of first-team football for Arsenal. And he's here at the European Championships and playing like an absolute dog. And, you know, I get the, I get the impression with Wilshire is that he has now been injured so much that it's, it's fundamentally changed his game. But he hasn't played enough to figure out what kind of player he now is. Because he used to be a player who could, who could dribble the ball past uh, opponents. He had that kind of ability to do that because, although not a particularly quick player, he had that kind of squat, you know, burst of speed uh, that some players of that build have, which enables him to, you know, if he gets if he if he can get his body past the guy, he's got the enormous backside, which helps to buffet uh, defenders out of the way. You know, if you can get your body between 
uh, between them and the ball, odds are you'd be able to get away. You know, it's, it's the way that Paul Gascoigne used to dribble. You know what I mean? A lot of the time he would slam his body against the defender who was trying to get back, kill their momentum, and use that actually to propel himself forward. Wilshere had a little bit of that, but you've also got to be able to have that, that little dart of speed to do that. And he's lost it. He's had so many injuries, so many particularly ankle injuries, um, that he just can't do that anymore. But it's like he hasn't played enough in his new body to work out what it's able to do and what kind of player he's supposed to be. And I'm afraid that, you know, an international tournament is not really the place for that sort of voyage of self-discovery uh, that, that Wilshire maybe needs to do over the next few months in order to develop, an, you know, a, a, an effective style of play. Because he's still trying to do some of the old stuff and he can't do it anymore. So he just ends up running into people, losing the ball, or more often than not, pretending to have been fouled, going down, simulating uh, fouls, looking for free kicks, pointless. You know, Wayne Rooney was sitting there. Rooney didn't seem to be too happy about being left out. Uh, you know, he was a little bit, he kind of gave Roy, Roy Hodgson a bit of the cold shoulder after the game, you could see. But uh, I think that allowing Jack Wiltshire to play that, um, you know, to play nearly an hour was maybe the best thing Rooney could have done in terms of quietening down those people who suggest that uh, maybe he shouldn't be in that team doing that job. If England are going to play this type of formation, then Rooney is definitely one of their best midfielders in the position that he's been playing, even if his performances have not really been all that impressive. Our last night's effort by Gareth Bale was his third of the tournament, 22nd goal of his international career, which moves him level with Dean Saunders in fourth place in the all-time scoring charts for his country. Dean, I'm sure you're happy enough to share that spot with Gareth Bale today. Oh yeah, I mean it's like you know I, I I'm not exaggerating in saying that's probably the best performance I've seen from a Welsh team. Um, I'm really I mean I, ne- I never expected us to qualify for the tournament as easy as we have, and then for us to do this and win the group, I didn't expect that either. So all credit to Chris Coleman, he's he's got his tactics and everything spot on. The players are a, a team, you know they bonded together, and we're looking really good. Really are, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, you talked about all credit to Chris Coleman there. Obviously, he's got Gareth Bale as the centre point of the team, but he seems to have built around him superbly. There were so many uh, strong performances last night. Yeah, well, you know, without uh, skirting around the edges, without him, we're nowhere near as good a team. And if he was in any team, even Real Madrid struggled when he wasn't playing for a couple of months. So he makes the difference. And last night, he was just unstoppable. He was running the length of the pitch. He scores all types of goals. Sorry, if that's, I'm in the middle of uh, Paris and there's Northern Ireland fans everywhere. <laughs> and it's pouring with rain. And I'm trying to speak to you, but um, the town's buzzing, actually. The big game tonight. But going back to, Ga- to Gareth, um, you know, he's, he scored nine headers this season. All of a sudden, he's he's scoring from crosses. He's scoring free kicks. He's scoring long shots. He's 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 running the length of the pitch last night, a bit similar to the similar to the game um, for Tottenham against uh, Milan just before he left. When he was he scored a couple of goals running the length of the pitch. So um, he's a big player for us, and he's got three goals in three games, and uh, he's looking like the best player in the tournament. It sounds like you're almost finding it hard to believe, Dean. Obviously, so, so much of your career was about trying to get Wales to this uh, highest level, and now that the team is in there, it, it, it's almost hard to believe how well they're doing. M- maybe the the game against England aside, but to win two two games at a group stage in the style they did it last night as well. Yeah, well, with the England game, I just think we forgot to play. You know, we we, we knew we were going to get pinned back, but we didn't pass the ball anywhere near like we can, and we and we, we ended up getting entrenched in our own half. Our two wing-backs, uh, who we need to get on the ball out wide, couldn't get up the pitch because we kept losing the ball. Uh, and I could see Chris shouting on during the England game, and then obviously we were a bit unlucky conceding the goal in the last seconds of the game, otherwise we get a draw against England. And then last night, he's put all that right again, Chris, so they've talked about it. And last night from the kickoff, we started passing the ball again, which allows your, your wing-backs to, to actually move into position to receive the ball. Um, if you keep losing it, they can't get forward and then you've got no targets in front of you to, to pass the ball to. So you end up giving the ball away. So we got it right last night. And, and as I said, 
partly due to us, but it's also the worst performance I've ever seen from an international team as well. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> are, are you going that far? Russia. Yeah, yeah. Russia were that bad. I've never seen a team be that bad. I mean, the manager, I'm not, I'm not, I don't criticise managers because I've been one myself and it's, I know how difficult the job is. But uh, Smolnikov, the right back, for the last two games has just been way out of position, too high up the pitch, leaving his centre-back alongside him exposed. And I thought, surely the manager must do something about it going into this game. But he played him again. And I would imagine Chris has pulled Gareth Bale in and said, listen, just go and play on that side of the pitch and we win the ball back. And you'll, you'll kill him and Neil Taylor and Gareth between him and Aaron Ramsey. They've drifted down that side and they've just destroyed him. Yeah. And, and, and part, you know, the, the midfield were wide open. I've just, I've just uh, shook hands with Neil Lennon there. He's excited. Oh, really? He's just, he's, just, he's just walked by you, yeah? He's, he's just walked past me, so... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a, a bit of lunch with him now. So, Brilliant stuff, yeah. yeah so he's, he's excited for the game tonight as well. So, oh, absolutely. No, but, uh, but, but Russia, no desire, no effort, not, not getting back, and just played in our hands. <laughs> All right, Dean, cracking stuff. Sounds like you're right in the thick of it there anyway. We better let let you go and um, have your lunch with, with so me. It's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city... Knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. We haven't had a chance to check in with Sid Lowe yet. This tournament, Sid, was in Toulouse last night where you, I don't know, were you watching a Wales team that could do a bit of damage in the knockout stages, Sid? Uh, yes, I think we probably were. Um, not least because by winning the group, uh, I think the draw looks like it. there's a very strong chance of the draw being reasonably favourable to them, uh, which I think obviously increases their chances end up being in the quarterfinals. I think we saw a side that played very, very well indeed. Uh, we know that obviously we knew that they could defend well and counter attack well, but I thought they played very well. Admittedly, Russia were absolutely dreadful, um, and also you know you're look at, we're looking at Wales side. I think that's got on the face of it at least. Three, three kind of very good level players, three outstanding players: Ramsey, Joe Allen, and, and, and Bale. And all three of them played really, really well. And I think if they if they're able to maintain the level in which the, the three key players perform, then then I think that they are a side that could that could actually properly achieve something. It's interesting that you put Joe Allen into that bracket with the two other boys there. He certainly lo- looked that, that way the, last the night. The two Wales games I've seen, I think he's been absolutely brilliant in both of them. The same level, that, yeah, that, that sort yeah. of level, Gareth Ramsey, Aaron Ramsey level. Well, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I, I mean, in the, in the, I mean, I've seen the two, the two games that are down in my part of France, uh, Toulouse and Bordeaux, um, and I actually think in the, in the first of those two, I think he was better than Ramsey. I thought Ramsey was was, was fantastic last night. Um, I think the the control that he gives and the ability to, to to open the game up is really really important. I think if you look at the the way that, that, that yes, they went, it was Wales' ability to keep control of the game, to keep on going through Russia, to find space. And I thought in that, I thought Alan was really, really important. I was really struck by something else actually last night. And, you know, all of this, of course, is, is stuff that I say as someone who hadn't seen a huge amount of Wales before. But I, I was really struck by how often it was Alan on his own in the middle and yet still able to kind of get enough control on the ball, still able to find passes to open the game up and, and to enable others to, to, to run, whether it's bombing through the middle as Bale seems to be doing or, or opening it to the, to the two wide positions for the, I can call them fullbacks, I suppose, strictly speaking, they're almost not fullbacks because of the, that, that kind of slightly curious formation that Wales play. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought Joe Allen was, was, was very, very good indeed last night. And I, I thought he'd been very good indeed in, in the first game as well. You mentioned Bale bombing through the middle city. Had plenty of space to bomb into yesterday. It was an absolute dream game for him. Does he look to you like he's enjoying this tournament and this bonhomie with the Welsh uh, teammates in a way that he doesn't get to do at club level? Absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, I think when you look at him play, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, watching him at the back end of the season for Real Madrid those last couple of months, and he seemed to be uh, kind of physically just on a different level to everyone else. Every time he ran, he seemed to be quicker than everyone. He, he kind of looked bigger and stronger than everybody as well. And you, you watch him and you thought, wow, we're, we're looking at someone who's just so 
sure of his superiority to the players around him that, that he's completely dominating people not necessarily dominating games in terms of you know, passing and moving it and controlling it like say for example an Iniesta would do or perhaps a Xavi or or even a Xavi Alonso someone like that but but the domination of of his territory that every time he got the ball it felt like no one could take it off him that he was able to run away from people and I think we're seeing that with Wales which of course is as I say very similar to what's been happening with Real Madrid but I think the point you make is an important one he I think he's the, the, the centrality of his role, um, the responsibility, the, the the enjoyment. And I saw him last night after the game on the way out of the stadium, and he just enjoyment's the right word. He just looks like he's he really is loving this. He's, he's really having so much fun, and I think it, it means. And again, it, you know, at the risk of going down the kind of the cliched route of playing for your country and you know together stronger and all those kind of things, um, I think that really actually stands up in Bale's case and I think he really is enjoying this uh, one player who doesn't seem to be enjoying himself is Pedro Sid I know you're already back in yeah. Bordeaux for today's game against Croatia what's going on here he seems to think it's not worth his time to come along and sit in the bench yeah it's an extraordinary thing to say isn't it just when everything was going so well he came out and, and said basically you know if I'm if I'm here to kind of make up the numbers if I'm here to the Spanish phrases to to to, to make the group to you know to, to fill in that role of basically just kind of being here and getting on with people, then I, then it, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe that's not not something I want to come here for. And I think when you see it, it clearly wasn't taken out of context. When you see it, it clearly isn't something that's been fished for. He has offered it up, which is why I must admit I was I was um, surprised by PK's remark. And PK's remark was that you know you lot are probably just a bit bored and you thought you'd make a great big deal about this, but it's no, it is no big deal. But I thought the fact that it, that it was said the way it was said without really very much prompting, I thought was significant. And then Spain decided to put Pedro up in the press conference, which I think was the right thing to do. And we all assumed that he would back away from what he said. He didn't. The complete opposite. He said, I'm not going to rectify it. I've said what I've said. Um, it, this, is, this is where it is. But what his point was is, I don't think it's that big a deal. Of course I want to play more. Now, of course, he's right on that. But to express it in quite the way he did um, at the time that he did, in that sort of sense that there's no point in being here, when, by the way, most people in Spain would say, well, hang on, mate, you're one of the very few players who we thought probably shouldn't have been included in this squad. And that has, that has created a backlash against him. Now, I must admit, I think the backlash has been over the top. But given what Pedro said, uh, I, I can't say I'm hugely surprised by it. All right, so very briefly, uh, Spain can seal top spot in the group with a draw tonight against Croatia. Are you expecting that, or would you like would you, would you see them putting down a marker for the rest of the tournament, as they say? There's a lot of talk about them um, rotating, making changes, so I think there's not necessarily a, a desperate desire to, to win the game. I think that, obviously, because they know that a draw would still win the group, and that's the big thing in this. And I must admit, I'm a bit surprised by how willingly everyone seems to be talking about changes. It seems to me... You don't mess around in this game because the difference between winning the group and not winning it is enormous. Basically, Spain win the group. They avoid Italy, France and Germany. Spain don't win the group and they get those three pretty much in a row. Um, and I think that there's there's your answer. They should go all out, but I think they will they will make some changes. I think probably one one in each position. So I think one defender, one midfielder, one forward will be the changes. Okay, see it. Enjoy Bordeaux. Thanks, Emil. My pleasure. I'm not sure how detrimental, effect, uh, how detrimental an effect all this Pedro stuff is going to have on the on Spain's chances in this tournament, Ken. I would guess not a huge amount, but it does seem to be a bit of a cock-up on behalf of the Spanish setup there to stick him out in front of the media to apologise for a comment for which he feels he didn't need to apologise for at all. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one, all right. Maybe they should have uh, <clears throat> maybe they should have checked with a checked with him beforehand if he felt like he needed to make a particularly fulsome apology for those straight from the heart comments. Um I, I don't know how I, how I really feel about it. On the one hand, Pedro is honestly articulating uh, how many footballers at this competition are no doubt feeling. Uh, the ones who are sitting on the bench, the ones who haven't been involved, the ones who don't really see a way for themselves into the team. Uh, on the other hand, there is that word team, which uh, <laughs> is supposed to, you know, partnership or membership of it is maybe supposed to imply a certain amount of self-sacrifice, you know, a certain amount of you know, let's go, let's go, Spain 23. It's not just a case of, oh, why am I not in the team? You know, I should be in the, I should be on the field. Just a crane, um, baby. And I think, yeah, yeah, well, I suppose, I think it, it's never the kind of thing that goes down too well with, you know, there are some fans who will be like, oh, this guy, you know, the sort of, I'd give my right arm brigade of fans. But, you know, people will go, this guy is, you know, playing for his country, he, he's just living in a five-star hotel in France. 
um, uh, you know, for a few weeks with like some people, I wouldn't say necessarily his mates, but some of them are, are kind of his, his friends, people, long, uh, long-term colleagues, let's say, in that Spain national team. Uh, is it really that much of a hardship posting? There is the chance that someone will get injured. There's the chance someone will get suspended. There's every chance Pedro could be involved. Could he not just, you know, do his work and not complain, eat his dinner every day, and then cheer on Spain when they play in the game? What's the big deal with that? I mean, isn't that what all our all the supporters are here in France <laughs> doing? On the, you know, on the other hand, why should it be such a big problem if Pedro says says honestly what's on his mind? Um, I suppose it's. I suppose the problem is that it's a bit. It's just a bit irresponsible. I mean, Pedro says that, then suddenly everyone else is maybe other people who were who were feeling that way, but had decided to keep it to themselves, or are now moaning and bitching to each other. You know, you, I, I don't remember any of this kind of stuff happening when Spain were winning the World Cup. You know, I'm sure the place they were in in Pochestrom. I mean, in Pochestrom during the 2010 World Cup, they were, you know, in some kind of student dormitory place i'm sure they're they're you know wherever they're staying in france is you know a couple of a uh, couple of levels of opulence up from where they were but you didn't get any complaints they were quite happy at that stage to go through this you know almost military style uh, accommodation and training and just focus on the games and nobody was complaining so the fact that they are now does uh, maybe feed into the narrative a little bit of uh, of a slightly decadent team a team that, that have won everything a team that are now a little bit glutted with success such that the mere prospect of maybe being involved in in the european championships isn't enough to keep pedro from moaning don't think it would have happened previous years and the thing is that that, the the sort of narrative i'm sorry i'm trying to say narrative but that but that kind of idea of spain as being you know maybe a little bit maybe past their best had actually been refuted by the football that they've played so far in the tournament, where they've where they've been uh, so far anyway, and the strength of their two games, they've been the best sides um, that's played so far. Go for it, Simon. I've got a call here. That says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God, that's just I just Whoa. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. <laughs> the charisma of a sick bag is an amazing, an amazing phrase. It's an amazing phrase. It's a, anyway, today's Euro 2016 scumbag. Uh, scumbag. Murphy, sorry, scamp. Uh, scumbag. Today's Euro 16, 2016 scamp is David Murphy, who says, Hello, second captains. I have to say, I've been quite baffled by the sentiments expressed by the likes of Richard Sadler on your show lately about how Ireland seems to prepare for matches. He's certainly not the only pundit who seems to be saying there's little in how Ireland play to indicate cohesive planning and work on the training ground. So, what exactly are they doing? Are we still in the management realm of playing for the shirt and doing it for your country? The type of management from the bluffers and spoofers that Keane seem to be so aggressively deriding towards the end of his playing career. This is not Keane's team, but he is a prominent part of the management setup. And if you told me in 2002, after reading his autobiography, that he'd become the type of manager and coach he has become, I just wouldn't have believed you. That book seemed to be his manifesto for a management career that would be devoid of the cliches so many he had witnessed depended upon. Preparation would be rigorous for the modern game. Yes, he's popular with the many giggling sycophants in the Irish sports media because he gives them the good copy in inverted commas that they want, nursing each time the reputation he enjoys but pretends not to. <laughs> but that's of little use in the dressing room. And what of his rigorous planning and professionalism that they so joyously reported of when he turned up early to put out the cones for his first Ireland training session? Is that the height of our expectations? David Murphy asks. Uh, sounds almost rhetorically. Ken, what do you think? Well, what's, what's David Murphy getting at here? Is he... I mean, when I heard that, uh, there was a moment at which all, every every indicator in my brain just went into the red and I started sort of shaking violently with anger. I think it was something about giggling sycophants. <laughs> and I'm, you know, uh, all I, I mean, the rest of the words just sort of faded into the background drone. All I, all I heard was this, this appalling unprovoked attack on the Irish sports media who, who I think are out here doing a, doing a bang up job. What, sure. what, I mean, what sure. was, well, the overall what point was, is that Keane in his playing days derided, failed, failed to prepare, prepare to fail. Ken, and the suggestions from... Well, fail to prepare, prepare to fail is, after all, just a cliche from a self-help book. You know, it's not like, uh, 
it's not like a, a you know an original piece of thought. Like it's it's not as though like uh, well specifically, Ken, in two thousand and two, Roy Keane did feel that we didn't prepare properly for that World Cup and we're setting ourselves up for failure. And as a manager, uh, or as an assistant manager, he's part of a management team between himself and O'Neill, both of whom seem well certainly from what we hear of O'Neill. It's, in fairness, O'Neill is the manager, so really it probably the focus should be on him more than on O'Neill. But he, we talked about this in advance of the game against Belgium. He doesn't seem to go out of his way to uh, force much detail about the opponents down the down the throats of his players in a way that most modern managers would. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I feel that all the, I think all the preparation stuff. I mean, the point the point about, uh, you know, you could you could say, you know, with hindsight, looking back at that, uh, the Keen book, I mean, he was saying it's like a manifesto. You know, there wasn't really a whole lot in there um, in terms of details. Uh, in terms of attitude, there was lots of stuff about attitude. Um, I mean, this idea that Roy Keane went home from the World Cup because he was unhappy with the preparations is, to be fair, <laughs> does anyone really believe that anymore? I think I think surely people have had time to reflect about that and think, hmm, to be fair, if you really were annoyed with the details of preparations, would you have a massive row with, with the manager and storm out of the World Cup? Probably not. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't add up. There was more going on. You know what I mean? And and although it is what he said was the reason why he had, that was the reason why he left. It's clear, you know, with hindsight, and it really should have been clear to everyone at the time, that that wasn't really the reason. That was just the pretext, or not the not the pretext, but the, the uh, what's the post-text, I guess, the, the post-hoc explanation for why this disastrous thing had happened was, well, you know, to be honest, our preparations weren't really up to scratch, and you know, I couldn't. The standards I had at Manchester United, I couldn't possibly do that. No, it was clear that he was he was unhappy out there for more complicated reasons. There was a lot of emotion going on there. It wasn't just details of preparation. And in a way, that's kind of that's actually uh, yeah, that that has given you a, a fairly decent sort of foreshadowing of what his management career was going to be like. All right. Well, speaking of Keane's good copy, this giggling sycophant in the Irish sports media right here. Oh, my David is about to play a clip from his press conference yesterday when he was talking about the naivety that we were chatting quite a bit about on the show, uh, on our podcast yesterday. So anyway, he was asked if something happens, if there's a scenario against Italy where uh, a player, an Irish player, essentially how should they know when to take out, when to stop the game against Italy and how to go about stopping the game against Italy? And this is what he said. Yeah take him out we saw Italy doing against Belgium we got, a player got a yellow card on the halfway line he literally jumped all over somebody's back Belgium when they were bro- breaking and then he kicked the ball out of play so yeah that's where you go back to the Italians and he's you know you got, you got to be streetwise in this game you know we're, we're, we're not here we're not here to make friends or the fans are doing that but from the player's point of view if you smell danger listen if you can hold the player up and you can win the ball fantastic but if you think we're in trouble here then yeah, you do whatever you can to get the right result. And if that's fouling, then you foul. It's not a crime. You might get a yellow card. You might even get a red. But your team might win. Sacrifices. You've got to make sacrifice for your team. To answer your question, what do you think I would do? <laughs> that was I a- haven't heard Keynote say that too often. The sort of reference back to his own. What do you think career. I would do? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's not something you hear very. It was often, delivered you know. with the Keen with that brief dramatic pause. I well, it's the pause came after at the end of the clip. Really, what do you think I would do? And he's looking around and he's smiling in a very strange, slightly scary way. Yeah, <laughs> Ken, I'm right in that though. I, I mean, I, I he doesn't really reference his own sort of playing style or playing career. Uh, all that often, I would I wouldn't have thought. Not too often, but yeah. maybe you know that goes back to what was said in the email about that reputation that he enjoys but pretends not to. Mm. Um, you know, everyone, everyone knows what uh, what Keane would have done uh, in that situation. Um, maybe he was thinking back to that Champions League final that he missed. I'm sure it was important for him to fail Zinedine Zidane at that, at that moment. I can't remember exactly the circumstances of that yellow card. Oh, I can't. There was a foul on Zidane. Yeah, well, there was a, an overhead pass from Jesper Blomquist, if I remember correctly, uh, which put it Keane... It certainly wasn't a tactical it, yellow card. No, it put, it put Keane in a little bit of bother, and then Keane was probably 
annoyed with Blomquist and just in full key mode, so he went for a sliding tackle. But his predecessor in the number two role had his say in Ireland this week. Have you heard what Marco Dardelli's had to say again? I heard a little bit of it. Yeah, Dion Fanning was talking about this in an article with Sports Joe. He was chatting to Gazzetta della Sport. That's uh, Tardelli as opposed to Dion. And Tardelli says their collapse against Belgium, they made too many mistakes, one after the other. But all for the same reason, they have trouble handling the game tactically. They don't get that football is also an intellectual matter. It's not just about attacking and going forward. They conceded two or three goals and counters. It seems like an enormous paradox, but for them it's normal to play without stopping to think. They always want to play, even when they're training. We had to invent new ways of getting into practice tactics even as they played. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not really that different from what Keane was saying to an extent. It's just it's a little bit more cutting uh, in terms of the, his dismissiveness about the uh, brain power of Irish footballers. Um, I mean, I do also, I, I wonder what it was like being at those tactical clinics with Marco Tardelli and Giovanni Trapattoni. Um, was it really... That gripping, listening to Trapattoni try to explain how to defend with nine men in his broken English. Uh, if I had been one of those players, might my attention also have wandered? Might I have been there not actually listening to what was being said anymore, just wishing that I had a ball that I could kick around? Maybe I would. You know, uh, I don't know if they were necessarily the best at getting across their message. Although I do agree that it is a that the message of, of you know, uh, Italian hard men like Tardelli uh, and Trapattoni is something which could have been useful or, you know, I think probably was useful for uh, for Irish football um, to absorb, you know, to become a little bit more like that. I mean, what Keane is saying is true, and it's more or less what we were talking about yesterday, uh, you know. Just get more streetwise. I think that's what everyone, uh, between us yesterday, Keane yesterday, and Tardelli and, and those comments, it's, we're all saying the same basic thing, I think. Just be cynical. Just go totally for the dark side. Just be, you know, sitting there with Diego Simeone and... and um, Antonio Conte, you know, comparing knives and saying, <laughs> look, this is this is what the game is about. You know, you've got these and Jose Mourinho maybe comes in as well, you know, and uh, everyone's sitting around acting real macho and saying, look, you know, you got these you got these Guardiola's, you know, your Guardiola's, your Wenger's, your Brendan Rogers's, you know what I mean? Whereas we all know that football is about cutting throats. Mm. I mean, and, just, uh, just talk to Donegal Gaelic football fans. They love it. Like, they absolutely adore it. Like, we're you know, we're streetwise. No, uh, no one likes us. We we don't care. I mean, it's yeah. it's actually a pretty fun place to be. Well, listen, we're well into the tournament at this stage. I mean, we're close to the knockout stages. I think it's about the right time, Murph, for some Ken's Euro 2016. Magpies are the most intelligent of birds, and eleven magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, Ken's goals. That was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Putin's it with beer and snacks. Watch game on goal television in Kremlin. Joe Allen Pierce rush in defense with Trubo. Aaron Ramsey scored goal. Bella Sconi text. Ball go over your goalkeeper head like Sputnik. Ha, 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 ha. Putin's goal. Garrett Bale, Pierce Rush in the fence with through ball. Neil Taylor score goal. Bellas Coney Tech say, Vladimir, is that goalkeeper or small tractor factory? Ha, 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 ha. Putin's call. Aaron Ramsey, Pierce Rush in the fence with through ball. Garrett Bale score. Bellas Coney Tech say, concrete boot Russians make Welsh football look like Bolshoi Ballet. Ha, 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 ha. Putin's call. Turn phone off. He look at Welsh celebration. Who is this genius Gola man? He must lead bear at our glorious World Cup. Money, no object. Ah, <laughs> oh, beautiful work. Oh, that is tough, man. Ken's goals. Was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Not bad at all, Gaza. Not bad at all. We've got, uh, we mentioned, we've talked a lot about Spain and Croatia. Czech Republic, Turkey is the other game. That group So Spain are on top of six points. Croatia on four. Czech Republic are on one and Turkey on nothing. Czech Republic can still steal second spot there from Croatia. They drew their game together, so that would uh, come down to goal difference depending on what happens there. But uh, the more interesting group uh, looks to be forgetting Ukraine versus Poland, the Northern Ireland Germany game. A point should do it for Northern Ireland against Germany. Although we are getting to a stage now where we're we've always assumed four points would be enough to get through as a third place team anyway. 
but uh, we, our terrible goal difference is going to start coming against. Well, us it'll come against us unless we, we essentially, from Republic of Ireland's point of view, we just need one other group similar to the French group to ha- to finish with a team, a third place team on three points. Albania finished on three points there. This is all assuming we beat Italy, by the way. So we just have to take that assumption anyway. So our hands across the the border might not extend <laughs> to this particular game. Now here, let's yeah. let, let's support Northern Ireland but hope that the the Czech Republic don't do anything in yeah. their group. Yeah. They, yeah, get, that's, that's they draw better. or lose against Turkey. Otherwise, it all goes down to tomorrow and it could start getting tricky. We'd be relying on interesting things that happen in the Portugal group. But uh, yeah, I think let's... It's not. It's, it's not impossible for let's Michael O'Neill and the, Martin O'Neill's yeah, boys let's just to see go how the evening so. or how the the day pans out. Do you want to offer a couple of predictions for those games again? Northern Ireland, Germany. Well, I think Germany will win. Obviously. Okay, um, Ukraine, Poland. I think Poland will win. Spain, Croatia. Um, that's going to be an interesting game. Well, under strength, th- Spanish side, as Sid reckons. Well, I think. <sighs> It's a tough one to call that, actually. I, I think Spain have, have been better than Croatia. I, th- I saw Croatia getting quite a few plaudits for how they played against the Czechs, but I was at their match against uh, Turkey, and they weren't really that good. I mean, we saw how poor Turkey were against Spain. Maybe there was just a question of Spain making them look bad. But uh, Croatia were, were very mechanical, uh, not as imaginative as I thought they'd be. Then there was all this problem uh, with what happened with the fans in the match against the Czech Republic, uh, and I don't think that's a problem that's going away. Um, for the Croatians, I think that there could be more of that in Bordeaux. I think that uh, I think Spain should win. Um, maybe Pedro uh, would be the key man. <laughs> Czech Republic, Turkey. I'll go with the Czechs. Czechs uh, win that and end up on four points. Could potentially be bad news yeah. for us. No, I, think, I think four points. I think our best hope of of not seeing anyone else and uh, of not seeing two teams of four points is probably the Northern Ireland group. Yeah, and then the then the Portugal group. Yeah. Uh, but but really, um, if we if we if we are talking about qualifying, I'm afraid we we've been pitted against Northern Ireland here. It's like kind of like when Spartacus and Antoninus have to uh, have to fight each other. You know, mm. um, it's really you, it's you, unfair. But we may have to uh, let's say not cheer on Germany exactly. But if Germany do end up scoring, you know, a few goals, uh, at least at least that cloud will have a silver lining in the form of. Uh, opening up the path just a little wider for Ireland in the next round. You started the show by saying doggy, it's a doggy dog world, uh, Ken, and uh, that's mm. perhaps the sentiment we should uh, we should finish on. Thanks, Ken. Uh, thanks, Alan. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, thanks very much, Kieran. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much for listening. Hope you're enjoying these Euro 2016 shows. We'll be uh, talking tomorrow. Well, we're getting very excited about Ireland against Italy on uh, on the day, and mm, we'll see what happens with Northern Ireland and Germany. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home.